You're listening to the Oddscast, the original UFC betting podcast that's straight to the point. Hosted by leading MMA oddsmaker Nick Kalikas and MMA journalist Brian Hemminger, they provide you the absolute best UFC betting info, picks, statistics, and analysis from the most respected authority in mixed martial arts betting. MMAoddsbreaker.com. Don't place your wagers without us. Welcome to the Oddscast. I'm Brian Hemminger, joined today by leading mixed martial arts oddsmaker Nick Kalikas of Circa Sports to break down this Saturday's UFC Vegas 16 event, which takes place in Las Vegas, Nevada. If you're unfamiliar with our format, Nick and I will break down the fight card from top to bottom, providing extensive analysis and a pick for each fight after doing our film study for the event. UFC Vegas 16 features an 11 fight card in total and will be aired on ESPN2 and ESPN Plus this Saturday night. Let's dive right in. Now, kicking things off on the preliminary card is a heavyweight bout featuring Gian Vellante, who is 17 and 12, and Jake Collier, who is 11 and 5. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? As always, a couple of notes before we get started here. Make sure you head over to MMAoddsbreaker.com and check out our opening betting odds article for UFC on ESPN 19 done by Adam Martin. Those are the opening prices that I will be quoting that are market-wide. And the current betting odds will be from Circa Sports here in Las Vegas. If you're in Vegas, make sure you head over to Circa Las Vegas on Fremont Street. It's a brand new hotel. We have the world's biggest sports book. It is a sight to see for sure. So if you're in town, head over to Circa Sports and check us out. And again, those are the updated odds that I will be quoting. So getting right into the fights themselves, as Brian mentioned, Vellante open minus 161. Call your open at plus 134. And right now over at Circa Sports, we currently have Vellante at minus 210. The comeback on call your at plus 180. So... Obviously, based on Collier's last performance and his weight issues and being at heavyweight, everybody kind of fading him and not really giving him that much respect. I mean, if these guys were both in shape, this would be a pretty competitive and fun fight. Now, obviously, Collier out of his weight class, and that is something that you have to be concerned about for sure. He didn't look like he was in shape last time. He got destroyed. I mean, he looks a little bit better at the weigh-ins this time around, but still, it's hard to trust this guy at all. Vellante was on his way to a win. his last fight as well and then found a way to blow it like so you cannot trust either one of these guys i'm sorry i hate to say it um it's just one of those aspects and fights that you kind of probably want to stay away from if anything i do think Vellante is the better fighter especially a heavyweight obviously and i think he probably should get it done here but again i mean putting your money at minus 210 where we currently have the price of circa i wouldn't really recommend that in this spot here i would probably stay away from it at this point it's just too many concerns from either guy that you really have to be cautious about here so for me, it's a pass, but I am going to pick Vellante to get it done here. Yeah, both of these guys have had their struggles. Um, and, you know, if this was at light heavyweight, I'd be a lot more interested in it. Um, but uh, basically you have, you know, a, a not-so-great light heavyweight taking on a not-so-great middleweight. Um, and Vellante at least has had some success against some decent people over the course of his career. You know, he's beat... Uh, Ed Herman, he's beat Safarov, he beat, uh, you know, Corey Anderson. That's a pretty quality win. So, you know, he's, he's gone out there and he's beat some decent guys. Granted, he's also lost to a lot of, of fighters over the course of his career, but, um, you can't really say the same with Collier. Um, he doesn't really have that good of a track record. I don't think that he, uh, has performed well inside the octagon at all. Um, he doesn't really have any quality wins. So, um, you know, and the fact that he fought at 
middleweight and then took three years off and then showed up at heavyweight and got obliterated by Aspinall, you know, that just did not look good. And I don't think he's going to look good again here. Um, I don't think Collier is as technically sound on the feet as Volante. Um, I don't think he has the same amount of power as Volante. I don't think he has the wrestling of Volante. Um, you know, Volante does make some silly mistakes at times and he can be chinny. He can gas out. But if he doesn't do that, he should win convincingly here. So uh, I'm going to go with Volante. Now, dropping down to the featherweight division, we have Damon Jackson, who is 18-3-1, taking on Ilya Tapuria, who is 9-0. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Taporia open minus 170, the comeback on Jackson at plus 145. And right now what we're seeing over at Circus Sports, Taporia minus 235, the comeback on Jackson at plus 200. I honestly think the opening line was probably a little bit better and a little bit more accurate. And this, I like Taporia. I mean, I bet him against the law in his last fight. He was able to cash for me. The guy is a stud. I love him as a prospect. I think the sky's the limit for this guy. I mean, his wrestling, his ability to kind of grind people out, push a high pace. I think he's got enough power on the feet to make things interesting, especially in this fight as well. So this guy is... Someone to watch out for and keep an eye on. Unfortunately for him, though, it's a tough fight. I mean, uh, not that Lizalal wasn't in his debut, but I think Jackson brings a lot of a different type of problem for Taporia here to handle on the ground, especially, obviously. Jackson has that length. He has that experience. He's fought a lot of good competition. He's got that unorthodox but slick and technical skill set with his jiu-jitsu that I think it's kind of hard to match up against. I mean, his submission skill at times is so slick that you're in trouble if you get on the ground with this guy. I mean, he utilizes his strength and advantages and that length and technique very well. So I, I have a feeling that Taporia is going to want to take this fight to the floor and kind of tangle with Jackson in the wrong spot and get himself in trouble here. So that's my concern. And, and that's why I think it's a dog or pass situation at the betting window here. So Taporia is definitely the rightful favorite. I think he should be a slight favorite in the spot, but that's why I also think that the opening line was a lot more fair than the current pricing here. So I am going to pick Taporia to win. It's one of those cases though, where I think it's a, you could pick the favorite, but it's a dog or pass situation type of fight, and I think that's exactly the case here. So my pick is Taporia, but at the price, I think it's a dog or pass. Yeah, this one's a little tricky for me because uh, both guys are talented, but um, you know they're both talented in their own specific ways. Uh, Jackson is really dangerous if he can get you to the floor and get his hands on you because uh, that's what he did in his last fight. It was a really, really impressive performance. Uh, racking up that, uh, you know, performance of the night against uh, Mirsad Bektik, somebody that was heavily favored against him. Uh, um, this time around, uh, Tapuria, you know, it, it seems like he is really starting to figure things out. I thought he looked uh, rock solid um, with that uh, excellent performance against Zalal, uh, somebody that, you know, was already pretty established in the UFC and uh, was able to walk away with a decision after a pretty entertaining scrap. Um, this time around, it's just going to boil down to can Tapuria keep Jackson off of him? Because uh, Jackson, as good as he is with submissions, um, he is not the greatest wrestler and he's not uh, the best striker. So um, on the feet, Tapuria should be able to have uh, a significant edge here. And if he can basically keep Jackson from uh, getting a hold of him and dragging him to the canvas and putting him in bad spots, um, then he should be able to win this fight. But, you know, Bektik wasn't able to do it. So, and Bektik has good wrestling too. So that is a big concern. Um, 
Uh, I, I think Tapuria does have a decent ground game, but it's just not at that same level. So if he screws around and this goes to the canvas, Jackson 100% can win. So I totally understand this being a dog or pass situation. But I still think the overall better fighter here is uh, Tapuria. So I'm going to go with him, but I'm going to be biting my fingernails the whole fight, being concerned any time that Jackson closes the distance. Now, dropping down to the flyweight division, we have Jimmy Flick, who is 15 and 5, taking on Cody Durden, who is 11, 2, and 1. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Flick minus 222, Durden plus 183. And right now over at Circus Sports, we have Flick minus 165, Durden plus 145. So Durden, the popular dog choice to start things off with. I understand. I mean, he looked pretty good in his UFC debut. Make no mistake about it. I think, I mean, his draw with Gutierrez, especially the first round of that fight, he looked phenomenal. You saw what he brought to the table. This guy has outstanding wrestling. He's got good grappling. He's got a little bit of power on the feet as well. He's just a, a grinder that's faced a decent competition before he made his UFC debut. So he's that typical wrestler that's going to push, push a very high pace. That's very experienced and is a threat in all areas. He's just, I mean, you don't have to, I think on the feet, he has enough power to definitely be dangerous and a threat, but I'm, I don't think he's going to overwhelm you with his striking alone. Put it that way. I think he mixes things up well enough. That's what you got with Durden. So very solid, capable fighter for sure. And I understand he's intriguing as the underdog here. The other side of it though, Flick, man, this guy, talk about Damon Jackson as we just were with his slick submission skills that he has. Flick has kind of a similar but different skill set on the ground as well. This guy's really slick with his submissions, especially his choke game. It's definitely on point. I mean, you, you don't want to kind of tangle with Flick on the ground much. I mean, high-level grapplers he's submitted in the past as well. So Flick's one of these guys that gets his wrestling and gets his grappling going and gets his submission game going. And you're pretty much in some serious trouble. It's hard to defend against Flick's uh, chokes especially. So, I mean, that's how high caliber that is. So I think Dern's probably going to want to take this to the floor. I think he's going to get himself caught up and probably submitted along the way if he's not careful here. So this is a tough one. I can understand, again, why it's a dog or pass situation. I think it probably is the case still, even at the betting window, plus 145. But I'm still going to pick Flick because I think, again, with the way he goes about submissions and what Durden's going to bring to the table in his stylistic game plan probably for this fight is going to kind of fall right into place for Flick. So I think Flick ends up getting the submission win here. Um, it will be a difficult fight until he does so, but I think it's probably Flick getting the W here. So, again, be careful if you're laying the chalk here on Flick or if you're taking the dog on Durden. I mean, I, I understand it, but I think – at this point, you probably want to kind of be a little bit more cautious and maybe even stay away. The pick for me is Flick. Yeah, this is a really interesting fight. I mean, Durden is a guy that came on short notice against a really talented fighter in Chris Gutierrez and convincingly won the first round before kind of running out of steam and uh, ended up having a draw in that UFC debut. But, you know, really opened a lot of people's eyes. And that was up a weight class. So now he's back down to flyweight. And this is a kid with a really good wrestling, a strong ground game. Um, and he's taking on somebody in Flick who also has a very strong ground game. Now, I would say Durden's wrestling is better, but Flick's submissions are better. You know, this guy, uh, you know, won the LFA title in less than a minute, choking out his opponent. Um, and then showed up on Contender Series and choked out his opponent there, too, to earn his uh, UFC contract. So uh, this guy, out of his... uh I think 13 wins, uh, all of them uh, uh, since 2011 have been by submission. So uh, this guy clearly knows what he's doing on the ground. Um, the problem with Flick is he's not that great of a striker, 
but Durden either. So what I think happens here is this is a back and forth uh, battle on the canvas. I think this has the potential to be one of the most exciting fights on the card. Uh, I can see Durden getting top position, but I see Flick putting Durden in a lot more danger. Um, the only way I really see Durden winning is if he can hold top position without being swept and try to get some damage done with ground and pounding. Because I think if he starts screwing around with grappling, um, Flick is going to put him in a bad spot. So uh, I'm also a little concerned about Durden's conditioning after he's really slowed down in uh, rounds two and especially round three uh, against Gutierrez. Now, granted, you know, short notice fight. So maybe we'll see a better version of him this time. And that was a pretty good first version we saw. So, uh, but uh, I'm going to go with Flick. I think that he's just the better submission uh, grappler here, and I think that he'll put the wrestler in some bad spots, especially because the wrestler is going to be wanting to take this fight to the floor. Um, hopefully they do, because it could end up being a, an ugly stand-up fight for three rounds if neither guy wants to go to the ground. But I think it's going to be a really entertaining back-and-forth scramble fest, and I see Flick getting the better end of it. So Flick is going to be my pick. Now, moving up to the lightweight division, we have Matt Wyman, who is 16-9, and nine, taking on Jordan Levitt, who is and 7-0. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Levitt open minus 305, Wyman plus 225. Wasn't enough. Right now, Levitt is minus 400. The comeback on Wyman is plus 325. So everybody betting Levitt up a little bit, I understand. And again, Wyman, it's kind of surprising that he's still around and still competing in the UFC. This guy, make no mistake about it, though, in his prime in his career, he was a very solid fighter. I mean, in my opinion, he was always underrated throughout his career. I mean, guy has capable stand-up, obviously very solid wrestling and a really good grappling game to go along with it. Unfortunately for him, he's 37 years old now, um, obviously past the prime of his career, and he's facing Levitt, who is an extremely high-level grappler that's going to come in here and look to kind of grind him out and try to submit Wyman. It's not going to be an easy task. So again, Wyman has faced so many high-level competitors in high competition throughout his MMA career thus far that, I mean, even though Levitt has an interesting and slick ground game of his own. I don't think it's going to kind of be anything that Wyman kind of hasn't seen, so to speak, or whatnot. So I think this is going to be an interesting matchup. The price is probably a little bit too high because Levitt's striking is definitely a work in progress. I mean, I think he needs to get a lot better. Thankfully for him, again, Wyman isn't in his, the prime of his career because even, you know, back a few years ago, Wyman would have gave Levitt a lot of problems, especially on the feet as well in this spot. But I think Wyman is still capable of doing some damage here, just – uh, not as dangerous as he once was, so that's a good thing for Levitt as well. So I, I would find it hard to believe that Wyman does get this W. I think Levitt probably finds a way to get this to the floor and at least get positional control and, and get points on Wyman, but along the way, I wouldn't be surprised if he finishes him as well by submission. So the pick is Levitt, but again, I mean, minus 400, stay away from it. Yeah, Wyman definitely isn't the fighter he once was. You know, I'm honestly kind of surprised he's still in the UFC at this point. But, uh, you know, he's a solid, savvy veteran that's been around the block, one of those uh, tough season five veterans. So, uh, you know, he's seen uh, his share of uh, things. So that being said, uh, Levitt, I just think, is, you know, a solid up-and-comer. Looks like uh, made a, a solid impression uh, in LFA and then on Contender Series. So, you know, this is a kid with a lot of talent, so a good grappler. Um, that being said... Wyman does still have some very good submission defense, so I don't see Levitt tapping him out. But as Nick said, I can see Levitt putting him in some bad spots 
and out grappling him over the course of three rounds and eventually taking the decision. Um, we've seen these young up and comers, some of them, you know, rise to the occasion and some of them fall flat a little bit. Um, so it absolutely could happen, but I'm going to go with, uh, Levitt here. I think that, uh, he is a solid enough ground fighter. He has the conditioning and he has the durability to handle whatever Wyman can throw at him over the course of three rounds. And I think, uh, Levitt probably wins a decision. Now, dropping down to the Bantamweight division, we have Luis Smolka, who is 16 and 7, taking on Jose Quinones, who is 8 and 4. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Smolka minus 135, Quinones minus 105. That was the opening pricing. Now we're seeing Smolka minus 132, the comeback of Quinones at plus 112. Interesting matchup. I know a lot of people met this fight even before it got postponed to this card. Um, I, I, it's intriguing for sure because I think overall Quinones probably has a little bit sharper hands, more capable striking, uh, even though Smolka does mix it up and he's getting better and more confident on the feet for sure. Um, defensively, though, I think both these guys are a little bit of a concern on the feet, obviously. It's a fun kind of firefight back and forth because Smolka's kind of not in his own benefit, uh, unfortunately, but he's always willing to kind of get in these firefights, even on the feet where despite the ground being his strength, obviously, and getting to the floor, which he's going to try to do that. I mean, make no mistake about it. Smolka's going to want to get this fight to the floor and on the floors where he's going to have his biggest advantage. Quinones has some decent wrestling and he has a good ground game in his own right, but I think he's outclassed severely on the ground with Smolka. Even if Smolka gets put on his back, I think he'll find a way to transition on top and probably give Quinones a lot of problems here. So for me, I understand that, again, another spot that I think Quinones is a very popular underdog type of pick here, but I'm going to actually go with Smolka here. I just think he's the better, more technical fighter across the board, but he has to fight smart and not be willing to get in this kind of crazy firefight. He has to kind of fight to his strength a little bit more if he wants to have success and win this fight because it's going to be a difficult fight for him if he doesn't fight smart. So that's, again, the cautious here a little bit. So uh, the caution, I should say. So my pick is going to be Smolka to get the W here, probably by submission if he finds one along the way. Um, if not, I think he could probably sneak it out on the scorecards, but it'll be a competitive 29-28 or split decision type of fight if it does hit the cards. But my pick is going to be Smolka. Now, we already broke this fight down uh, the last time when this fight was scheduled before it got uh, canceled at the last minute, right before the event started. But uh, my feelings really haven't changed. I think uh, Smolka, it was better at flyweight than he was as a bandmate. Um, and I think Quinones is going to be a little bit bigger, a little bit more technically sound in terms of his striking. I think he has a little bit more pop with his uh, hands. And I think Quinones is the better wrestler. So Smoka's biggest strength is going to be his submissions and his ground game. But I don't think he'll easily be able to put Quinones in bad positions on the ground. Uh, maybe if he does put him on the ground, he, he'll be able to do something. But I just don't think getting him to the ground in the first place is going to be that easy. So uh, unless he does some really tricky guard pull stuff, um, I think the most likely outcome here is Quinones outpointing him on the feet, maybe even Quinones scoring some takedowns at the end of rounds to seal some rounds. So uh, I'm going to go with uh, Quinones. I think that he uh, either wins a decision or maybe even uh, takes Smoka out with his hands. So Quinones is going to be my pick. Now, moving up to the featherweight division, we have Mavsar Evloev, who is 13-0, Taking on Nate Landwehr, who is fourteen and three. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? 
Evlo have opened minus 350, the comeback on land, where plus 285. Not high enough, as right now, over at Circus Sports, we currently have Evlo at minus 620, the comeback on land, where plus 475. So we opened up a little bit higher than market at Circa, and I think it was the right call. Obviously, the line has escalated quite a bit. It's just a tough fight. I have a lot of respect for land, where I think he's a warrior type of fighter, meaning that he comes in. Fights extremely hard, has some power on the feet, has good wrestling. He just he's a well-rounded fighter for, and his win over Elkins, controversy or not, was definitely the biggest win of his career. And he showed a lot of heart, and he showed that he's just kind of one of these crazy guys that, in a way, like that, that's so in tuned and into his fighting style that he brings it, man. And I, I think he makes for exciting fights in most cases. Unfortunately for him, here is how class in every aspect of the game. I think Evlov is just a better striker more technical i think he's a better wrestler in this spot too i think he's the better submission artist so across the board evloev should honestly have a significant advantage as the fight goes i think lamb's gonna have his moments though no doubt about it i mean like i said with his aggression and the way he kind of goes about his fighting style i think it's going to definitely be an exciting fight regardless because he's going to make it so but evloev should be able to kind of pick him apart and and just kind of dictate and fight the way he wants to in this spot and maybe get a finish. So I don't see this being good on the scorecards for Landwehr, and I don't see him finishing Evlov either. So if that's the case, it should be Evlov to get the W here. And if you're looking to put somebody in a parlay, I mean, as the price goes up, obviously you got to probably stay away from it. Um, I mean, it opened minus 350, now it's minus 620. But if you're desperately looking for something that in there, I think Evlov is probably a spot where you might want to consider still. I mean, if it gets to minus 700 or above, then probably throw it out and just leave it alone. But in between minus 6 and 700, if you're looking again for a parlay filler, this might be a spot. Evlov, I just would be very surprised, even though I think, like I said, Landwehr will have his moments to see Evlov lose his fight. So the pick is Evlov, and I think this, obviously the ceiling, I mean, is really high for this guy. I, I will see him in a future type fight, I think, and make a run towards the title, no doubt about it. I'd be surprised if we didn't. So the pick is Evloev, and I'm expecting a lot of good things from this guy. Yeah, Evloev is a rock-solid talent, and I think that this, he's uh, got a very, very bright future if the uh, featherweight division. Uh, Landwehr, you know, I feel like Evloev has taken a step down here. You know, Usually the UFC paces fighters pretty well, especially ones that they uh, see a bright future in. But uh, in terms of of Evloev already defeating Enrique Barzola and Mike Grundy, uh, I'm not sure why they made this matchup because I think Landwehr's you know not as good as either of those guys. Um, I think Barzola and Grundy would both beat uh, Landwehr if uh, he matched with them. Um, you know, Evloev is just as good as Landwehr on the feet, and that's Landwehr's specialty. You know, he's not particularly great on the ground. Um, he does have okay takedown defense. But Evloev is excellent on the ground. He has good wrestling, and he makes great adjustments on the feet. Uh, you saw that uh, in his last fight against Grundy. You know, Grundy got the, the wrestling going a little bit early, and then Evloev just started denying him convincingly and then just going to work on the feet. It was a beautiful performance. Uh, you know, this guy is really well-rounded, and... I think it's going to take, you know, some of the best of the best featherweights in the world to finally, you know, end his undefeated streak. And Nate Landwehr is just not there. Uh, you know, honestly, I thought, uh, Landwehr lost that last fight to, uh, Barry Elkins. I thought, you know, he, he did win one round, but, uh, I, I thought the third round was Elkins. Even though Elkins' face was just covered in blood, he was the one that was the aggressor. He was landing. He was pushing forward and, uh, Landwehr, you know, was caring more about taunting than doing anything, you know, really 
solid and technical on the feet. So I think in this fight, it's pretty much Landwehr having a puncher's chance because I do not see how he wins a decision here unless he hurts Evloev in each round and just can't put him away. So I think Evloev walks away with a very convincing decision here, if not a finish at some point. So Evloev's going to be my pick. Now, moving up to the light heavyweight division, we have Roman Delidze, who is 7-0, taking on John Allen, who is 13-5. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Delidze opened at minus 100, the comeback plus 170. That was the opening betting line. Right now, over at Circus Sports, we're seeing minus 195, plus 170. So, line kind of staying... Obviously, steady across the market, around minus 200 or so, so solid opening line, and I think it's going to be a solid line across the board because Delice should definitely be the favorite in this fight. I mean, I was impressed with his UFC debut for sure, but I need to see a little bit more from this guy. I mean, obviously, we know he's a beast. He's got power on the feet. He's got a grappling game to go along with it, but again, I guess high-level competition is yet to be determined how good he really is. I think it's another one of these guys that could be a high-level prospect, and really, if he gets kind of brought along the right way, he can make it towards the title run in the light heavyweight division. I mean, that's how much potential he possibly does have, but Delice has to kind of prove it. And a fight against Allen here will kind of be the next step towards that direction, I think. So this is great matchmaking. I think Allen is very tough. Obviously, he's got power in the feet. He's faced decent competition. I think his kryptonite, more so than anything else, is obviously ground defense. And, you know, it's gotten him trouble in the past as well. Um, but on the feet, he is a little bit dangerous. So this is going to be a test for Delice to see where he's at for sure, because Allen is no walkover in any aspect of the fight. So I think that it's going to be a competitive fight. I am going to pick Delice to get the W here, but again, it's another one of these spots that I don't trust him enough to lay minus 200. I mean, he has to kind of prove that he deserves that price tag around him. I think this line should be a little bit lower, um, but again, market-wide, it's staying pretty steady, so I think it's about right right now as far as what the public and market overall thinks of this fight, but I just don't trust it to bet it. So I'm going to pick Delice to get the W here. Let's see how he looks. And I'm going to go Delice as well. I just think that you know, he's the better fighter here. Um, he's shown that, uh, step in there against some decent fighters and just destroy them. Uh, you know, so far undefeated and, uh, he backed it up. You know, I, we weren't really quite sure how good he was. Uh, and then, uh, you know, he put away Ibrahimov pretty impressively. Now, granted, you know, Ibrahimov hadn't got a win in the UFC yet. So this will be a little bit of a step up in my opinion. You know, John Allen, you know, he's uh, no cakewalk, uh, but, you know, he's not the greatest either. You know, he got submitted on a contender series, um, then came back and won uh, and earned a, an opportunity to fight in the UFC, won the fight against Mike Rodriguez, but then he got uh, suspended for a year and the win got overturned to a no contest because he tested positive for uh, uh, tamoxifen, I think, a banned hormone metabolic modulator. So uh, this guy is good, but, you know, how good is he really? Because, you know, he was on something the last time that he actually performed in the UFC and got a win. And it wasn't like he convincingly won either. He won two out of the three rounds against Mike Rodriguez, uh, who is, I would say, a lower tier light heavyweight. So uh, this is a slight step up for Delize, but I still think it's a very winnable fight. I think Delize is the more technical fighter. I think that he mixes it up a little bit better in terms of uh, the punches, the kicks, the knees uh, on the feet. I don't think Allen is going to be much of a threat anywhere else but the feet, so I expect this to be a stand-up fight over the course of three rounds, if it goes that far, with uh, Delize either knocking him out 
or deletes a potentially uh, winning a decision by outpointing him over the course of three rounds. So my pick is going to be Delete. I think he stays undefeated. Now, dropping down to the lightweight division, we have Gabriel Benitez, who is 21-8, taking on Justin James, who is 16-5. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Jane's open minus 155, the comeback on Benitez at plus 115. That did not last. Betters immediately pounced on Benitez. He's now minus 210, the comeback plus 180 on Jane. So obviously the line was set wrong on the opener and everybody took advantage. And if you got plus money on Benitez, hats off to you because he's by far the better overall technical fighter in this spot. I think he mixes things up well um, as far as – I mean you could just see in his last few fights – what kind of fighter he is, despite him coming in here and losing his last couple fights. Nitez has still performed at a high level. I know the Yusuf fight, I mean, he was performing fairly well before he got caught and finished in that fight. The Morales fight was very competitive, very close. I had Morales in that fight, uh, but I still think Benitez, I think, showed very well in that fight against a very tough fighter like Morales. But that being said, he has been taking some punishment, and he's been through those wars, and that's exactly what you get out of Benitez, another very exciting fighter. Um, his kicking game is so on point. It's hard to take those body shots that he's, you know, with those kicks and and the precision and the speed and the power that Benitez has to go along with him. So on the feet, he's no joke. He's got a great getting choke on the ground as well, and he's capable of ending the fight in all aspects. So I think Benitez is the more technical and the more savvy fighter across the board, but Jane's is definitely someone to be concerned about here. I mean, with this power, I understand, again, in his last fight against Tucker, he ended up starting off very strong, and then things didn't go his way, kind of faded a little bit as the fight went, and ended up getting finished now. Um, and, you know, Brian uh, off the air made a good point about that was only Jane's first uh, fight at featherweight, and you definitely have to consider that. So, you know, him dropping down to featherweight looking like he did, now this is back at lightweight. I think he is going to be a little bit more, obviously, as far as like the wear of the weight cut and all that, a little bit less drained, a little bit more, I think, where he should be, I guess, if that makes sense. As far as his cardio and his conditioning or whatnot, I think we're probably going to see Jane's look a little bit better and a little bit um, not as gassed or whatnot. 155 is definitely going to be a better weight class for him as he's competed most of his career in this weight class as well. So I don't think the cut to 145 was the right move for him. And I think we're probably underestimating him just a little bit because of that move. So at the current price now, again, I think Benitez is the better fighter, but I can understand a little bit of value showing up on James because he has that those powerful hands, man. I mean, this guy knows how to use him as well. He's accurate with him. Um, he obviously has a wrestling background, so he's no joke on the ground either. But I think where it's at with him is just that knockout ability and the way he kind of has that nasty killer instinct when he does get you hurt. And Benitez coming off those devastating, you know, kind of tough fights and the devastating knockout loss to Yusuf and just taking all the abuse, this might be a spot. This might be the perfect opportunity for James to step in here and kind of play spoiler. But hard for me to pick him, though. I mean, Benitez, again, is the better mixed martial artist. I think he's faced the higher level competition throughout his career. And it's going to be one of those things where you pick Benitez, but it's probably a dog or pass situation at the betting window again. So another spot where I've just got to be honest with you. I mean, it's not an easy, as easy as everybody thinks, kind of picking Benitez in this in this place. Because I think even though he is the better fighter, I mean, James especially early on will be a threat for sure. And Benitez has kind of weathered that storm and fights smart if he's capable of doing so. So my pick is Benitez. And I'll keep this one pretty straightforward. I just think Benitez is the better fighter. He's more well-rounded. He's the more technical striker. He has a really good output on the feet. Um, and he's been in there against some better fighters and performed better. 
Now, he has lost two in a row, but you got to look at who he fought, and I think uh, you do that, and it makes a little bit more sense. Um, you know, he took on uh, Yusuf, one of the most dangerous fighters in the f- featherweight division, uh, and he got finished. Um, and then the Omar Morales fight was an absolute war. Um, so, you know, this is a guy that uh, has quality wins over guys like Jason Knight, Sam Cecilia, Clay Collard, you know, Humberto Brown. Um, he's been in there and gotten decent performances. Um, James, on the other hand, you know, he didn't have a lot of high expectations, but he came into the UFC and got a quality win over Frank Camacho. Uh, uh, I think the, the, the drop down to featherweight was a huge mistake. And I think he learned that. That's why he's back up at lightweight. So he's going to be dangerous because he's powerful, but in terms of technique, in terms of, uh, conditioning and Pace, I don't think that he's at that same level as Benitez. Uh, Benitez can be caught. He can be knocked out. So James absolutely has a puncher's chance. But other than that, I think Benitez is going to be outpointing him. I think Benitez is going to be landing. I think Benitez will be defending better. Um, I just think this is overall Benitez's fight to lose. So I'm going to go with Benitez. I think he convincingly wins here unless he gets clipped, which can happen to anybody and it has happened before and James has caught other people so it's not out of the realm of possibility but I think the most likely outcome here is Benitez winning by either decision or knockout now dropping down to the women's flyweight division we have Taylor Santos who is 16 and 1 taking on Montana De La Rosa who is 11 and 6 now Nick where did this fight open and how has the public shifted things so far Santos minus 265, De La Rosa plus 185. That was the opening line. And right now over at Circus Sports, we're seeing Santos minus 225, the comeback in De La Rosa plus 195. So this has been back and forth as far as action goes. Early on, it was De La Rosa getting some money. Now we're seeing Santos take some money back the other way as well. So this is interesting for sure. And I think styles make fights. This is great matchmaking. Santos has a big advantage on the feet. She's getting better in all aspects of the game. She's putting in the work. And you could tell, really, I mean, her conditioning is getting better. Her grappling is getting better. Her wrestling is getting better. She's always been a pretty good threat on the feet for sure. So that's her advantage in this fight. She has to be careful, though, because De La Rosa is not going to want to stand and bang with her. She's going to want to take this fight to the floor, grind her out, and try to get the submission done. If De La Rosa is not able to do that. She's going to get busted up on the feet and maybe even get finished. So Santos is going to want to play this thing out on the feet. If she does get it to the ground, she's going to want to make sure she stays on top and avoids any arm bars or, or sweeps or anything like that. If I very, very smart here to not get beat because De La Rosa does have a path to victory and that is by submission, like I said, or possibly just controlling and grinding this fight out. So if it hits the scorecards, I'm expecting it to be a fairly competitive fight, but I think overall how I see this playing out is Santos kind of stuffing the takedowns, keeping this in space, keeping her distance and utilizing her stand-up advantage over De La Rosa and up one here, maybe getting some top position along the way um, and kind of playing the safe game. So I think Santos does get the W here, but this is definitely an interesting spot. So be careful again at the betting window, because at the price of minus 225, you're betting against a grappler that has a path to victory. So the pick is Santos, but let's see how this one plays out. I'm not super confident in this one, just because uh, Santos has been very inconsistent so far in her UFC run. Um, you know, and it's been pretty short so far. You know, she won contender series, then lost a split decision to Barella, somebody that, uh, De La Rosa has defeated and then bounced back with an excellent performance against Molly McCann, uh, this past July. So, um, it's just a tale of which Santos is going to show up because 
if she can avoid De La Rosa taking this fight to the floor and putting her in bad positions, she should win. Um, De La Rosa, you know, as good as she is on the ground, she is not good on the feet at all. I mean, when she gets stuck standing against people like Andrea Lee, Vivian Araujo, you know, she gets smoked. It just has not gone well for her. Um, and against elite grapplers, she's had trouble too, but that's earlier in her career. Um, but, uh, in terms of the UFC, it's it's been a ground game or bust with her. And if she can take this to the floor, she's got a decent chance. But uh, Santos so far, uh, if the one the version that shows up that fought Molly McCann, I think she wins convincingly. But uh, there's always going to be the threat that uh, De La Rosa can get this to the floor and maybe get some ground game going. So I'm nervous about it, but I'm going to pick Santos, I think. The the, ver- the fighter we saw in her most recent performance against McCann is the one that entered the UFC with a wave of at 15-0, and 0, uh, not the one that had the letdown split decision loss. So my pick is going to be Santos. I think she's just significantly more well-rounded than De La Rosa, and she is able to stifle some of that ground game because uh, as good as De La Rosa's ground game is, she doesn't really have that great a wrestling. So I think Santos keeps it upright. So Santos is my pick. Now, moving on to the co-main event of the evening in the light heavyweight division, we have Ovin St. Pru, who is 25 and 14, taking on Jamahel Hill, who is 8-0. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Hill open minus 135, OSP, Ovin St. Pru plus 115. And right now, over at Circus Sports, we are seeing Hill minus 185, the comeback on OSP at plus 160, so... Minus 135 to minus 185. Of course, OSP missed weight by a few pounds um, earlier. So that is definitely a little bit of a concern. I mean, he, you know, floating back heavyweight and then back down to light heavyweight as he has. I mean, he got a big win in his last fight. So you got to give him a lot of credit for that. I think a lot of people were expecting him to possibly get knocked out. And he performed well. He fought very smart and and got the W. I think he looked great. So that's where he still has left in the tank as far as OEs. I think the UFC is kind of using him more as a gatekeeper role right now. And that's why they stuck him in there with Menafield. And Menafield didn't get through that gate. I mean, he reminds me again off air a little bit when Brian and I were talking. I mean, the spot that they keep uh, putting Andre Orlovsky in, Orlovsky is kind of the heavyweight gatekeeper. And if you get through Orlovsky, then obviously you're kind of on the upper tier of the heavyweights. Um, I think that's kind of the spot here in the light heavyweight division for OSP. If Hill can get past OSP, then he's obviously in the upper tier. And this is a very stern test and the hardest fight of Hill's life because OSP has all that experience. I mean, a lot of people probably believe the the easiest path to victory here for OSP is getting this fight to the floor and then working his ground game and trying to submit Hill. That's true. But you also have to respect OSP on the feet. He does have some power. And again, he's been there with a lot of good fighters. The problem here is I think he's going to be a little bit slow for Hill. I think Hill is going to be the more explosive, the faster fighter. Obviously, the younger, fresher fighter as well overall so i think that on the feet he does have a devastating knockout chance against uh, osp meaning that it's probably not going to fare well for osp i think hill's technical enough and his conditioning is good enough that he could probably you know win the striking battle there so sp's going to have to probably get this fight to the floor if he's going to want to win this fight if not he might get knocked out so for me i think it's probably he'll getting the W here, but it's so hard to count OSP out. He's a very, again, smart fighter at times when he wants to be and, and gets his, you know, positional control on the floor. We've seen those Von Flew chokes, so to speak. I mean, they can be renamed, obviously, OSP chokes because he's he landed so many of these ones, man. It's, it's fantastic to watch his ground game for sure. Um, so, again, if he kind of follows that blueprint path, I think he could pull off the upset here. But 
I like what I see from Hill. It's hard not to pick against him here. If he keeps his fight upright, he should win the fight. So hopefully he's fight smart. And again, the sky's kind of the limit for Hill as well because he continues to improve and he continues to put the work in. And obviously he knows what to expect here in this spot. So my pick is going to be Hill. But as this fight creeps up, it's another fight that you can't exactly trust at the betting window because, again, kind of laying almost 200 against a veteran like OSP that's kind of in a gatekeeper role right now is not a smart thing. So the pick is Hill. And I think he's going to look impressive here, probably getting the finish over OSP. But again, at the betting window, just be careful because I don't think it's worth laying almost two to one. And I'm going to go with Hill as well. You know, this kid is a really bright up and coming star. And it feels like with Ovin St. Prue, they're kind of, I talked about this with Nick, but they're giving him like the, the Andre Orlovsky treatment of welcoming uh, the next wave of uh, interesting contenders and seeing how he does against him. Sometimes Ovin St. Preux smokes him. Sometimes he doesn't. Uh, you know, the the most recent performance, St. Preux returned to light heavyweight and looked great against Alonzo Menafield. You know, Menafield was a guy that had devastating power, but uh, didn't quite have the conditioning, didn't quite have the technique, uh, everything else down. And, and the power didn't work early. Uh, St. Preux just took over and looked amazing and ended up putting him away in the second round. Hill, on the other hand, uh, I think he's a lot more well-rounded. We've already seen him against some decent fighters in uh, Stosic and Abreu, um, and he's been able to get uh, the stand-up going. He's been able to get his ground game going. He's been able to uh, showcase that he can go the distance and win a decision. So there aren't really a lot of uh, flaws or you know, holes in Hill's game. You know, this is somebody that I think has a very, very bright future at 29 years old. He's at his, you know, athletic prime and, uh, open St. Prue is always going to be dangerous because he has the threat of submissions with his ground game. He has a ton of power on the feet, but, uh, Hill, I think that he's potentially getting St. Prue at the right time. And people might be thinking that St. Prue is going to just do what he did against Menafield, but I think Hill is just a much better version of Menafield. You know, he's not going to slow down. He can mix it up a little bit better. He has better technique with his striking. He's not quite as powerful as Menafield was with one punch, but uh, he's not a one-trick pony either. So uh, I think Hill does get the job done. I think that he could potentially mix in takedowns. I think he could uh, outstrike in terms of just pure technique with St. Prue potentially could just clip St. Prue and take him out. So a uh, very interesting fight, huge test for Hill, big step up, but I think that he's good enough to uh, pass that test. So I'm going to go Hill, but St. Prue has proved me wrong in the past and he could play spoiler again here. Now this brings us to the main event of the evening in the middleweight division. We have Jack Hermanson, who is 21 and five taking on Marvin Vittori, who is 15, three and one. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Vittori minus 160, Herman, Hermanson plus 140. That was the opening price. Surprise to many, but it is staying kind of steady. Right now, Circus Sports, we have Vittori minus 140, the comeback plus 120 on Hermanson. And I'm saying surprise to many because a lot of people, I think, were expecting Hermanson to kind of open up the betting favorite, especially, I mean, if you look at the competition level and, the, and kind of his rise or whatnot in this spot, I can understand it. And Hermanson has one of the most deadly and offensively skilled ground games that you'll ever see in the UFC and especially in the middleweight division. I mean, this guy is an absolute stud. 
and he's so dangerous. I mean, all it takes is basically one takedown for this guy to get the win over most of his opponents. I mean, he transitions so well, so smooth. His control and his positioning and just his IQ on the ground is very, very good offensively. But you can't beat him defensively. If you could stuff his takedown attempts, you can outpoint him on the feet. You could bust him up on the feet. Obviously, I mean, that have been his kryptonite in the past. If kind of things don't go his way, I mean, I think he's gotten better. He's gotten more experience. His conditioning, everything has improved. But a lot of times, if he can't kind of get the game plan and the path going his way, he tends to obviously, I don't want to say fold, but things start unwinding and not going well for him, obviously. And in that case, I think Vittori presents a lot of problems because he does have decent takedown defense. I believe outside of his first couple fights in the UFC, he hasn't been taken out since. So that's improved quite a bit. Um, his striking ability on the feet, I think, is better than Herman's as well. He's got more knockout power. And I think if he fights smart, I mean, he can make this fight kind of look rather easy at times. I think he could definitely get the knockout. If, if it goes to the scorecards, if it goes all five rounds, I think he wins three rounds of two at least. So I think Vittori has the edge on the scorecards. I think he's got the, again, the edge on the feet. And he's capable of getting the knockout here. But the threat and why the line is so close is Hermanson. Obviously, he's not going to be a fish out of water on the feet. I think he can have his moments as well. But again, it's that devastating submission game that he does have. I mean, it could only take one takedown for him to get the W over Tory. So again, that's the cautious here if you're betting Vittori. Um, but I do think there is a little bit of value if you're you're laying under minus 150 on Vittori, uh, to be quite honest. I think Vittori, again, he can sprawl brawl, keep this fight upright, and possibly knock Hermanson out if not win on the scorecard. So I, I do see it happening that way. Uh, and I do, again, to be a little bit cautious, not going to go crazy on this, but for me, it's a play on Vittori. Um, somewhat not, again, not huge, but a small play because the value is definitely there. So I'm going to pick Vittori to get the W here as long as he can keep, keep off his back and fight very hard. I think he gets it done here. And I think that's very probable. So the pick is Vittori. And after this win, I think he gets propelled into the top tier and maybe eventually gets a rematch with Adesanya, which was a fairly competitive fight. So, uh, I would look forward to seeing that again if it does get matched up. But for right now, one fight at a time. And I think he gets it done over Hanson. So the pick is Vittori. And I can totally understand the pick of Vittori. You know, this guy is a bit of a jack-of-all-trades, master of none. Um, you know, he has pretty good wrestling, pretty good striking, good conditioning. Um, you know, he does a little bit of everything. Um, and we've seen him step in there against some decent fighters and get some quality performances. You know, he has impressive wins over guys like Carl Roberson, Andrew Sanchez, you know, Cesar Mutant Ferreira. Um and, you know, even in his defeats, he's been impressive because, uh, the, the fight against Israel Adesanya, you know, it was a split decision loss and that's the best middleweight in the planet. Now, granted, that was very early in Adesanya's UFC career. He was still kind of figuring things out and wasn't quite at the same level that he is now. You know, that was over two and a half years ago, but, um, still really impressive that, you know, he, he took Adesanya to a split decision, one of the toughest fights that Adesanya's had so far in the UFC. Now, Herman, on the other hand, you know, this guy is just a killer. Uh, he, he repeatedly goes in there against tough top opposition and then just takes them out. Um, in his most recent stretch here, he's been in there against, uh, five guys and he has obliterated, uh, five of them. I mean, honestly, Talis Letus ends up surviving a, a rough, ugly leg injury and then pounds him out. Then Gerald Mearshart just cracked him in the first round, ends up choking him out. Uh, David Branch, again, first minute this time, then takes on Jacare and actually stands with him for a lot of the fight and out 
uh, strikes him, uh, something that he's really not known for. And most recently, uh, you know, latches on a heel hook and takes out Kelvin Gastelum, one of the best middleweights in the world, in a minute, 18 seconds. The only time that he's really struggled was the Cannoneer fight where uh, he got caught with an uppercut uh, early in the second round and finished. So we can, I could totally see that happening here. You know, Vittori is a good striker and he does have some pop, not quite as much as Cannoneer, but uh, if he catches Hermanson with, with the right strike, we've seen that Hermanson, you know, if he gets caught, he can get in trouble. Uh, it happened against Cannoneer. It happened against uh, Tiago Santos um, back in the day. So, uh, that being said, though, uh, I think Hermanson, if he gets Vittori in a bad spot, Vittori's the one that's in huge trouble. Um, I think Vittori actually has a similar skill set to Gastelum in that, you know, that little jack-of-all-trades, good wrestler, good striker. Um, but I think Gastelum's actually a little bit more dangerous. You know, he had a little bit more pure punching power and finishing ability. So uh, with Hermanson, uh, I think, you know, he's not quite as nervous to stand and trade with Vittori uh, because it could open up uh, opportunities to get this fight to the floor. Now, Vittori does have pretty good takedown defense. He really hasn't been put in a bad spot since very early in his UFC career, and he has faced some decent ground fighters, but uh, I think that Hermanson's ground game is good enough to put him in a really bad spot. I mean, when this guy gets you on the canvas, you're in huge, huge trouble. Like, he goes for the jugular. So, uh, I think either Hermanson finishes Vittori or Vittori, uh, wins a decision. I think it's the most likely outcome, or maybe Vittori gets enough going on the feet that he can take Hermanson out. Um, so really, really interesting, compelling matchup. I'm pretty much 50 50 toss up at this point, but I think I'm going to go with Hermanson. I think what he's been able to do, uh, on the ground against elite fighters more impressive to me than what uh, Vittori's been able to do against uh, above average fighters. So uh, I think the future is brighter for Vittori just because he's so much younger at 27, but I think that Hermanson is just that tiny smidge better than him at this point. So I'm going to go Hermanson, but I love the matchup and I think Vittori has a very, very live chance to pull this off. So that'll do it for our full event breakdown for UFC Vegas 16. Um, we have a free play to give out. Make sure to follow at MMAOB Premium on Twitter because that's where we'll post them first. We also have uh, free bets posted on our free bets section on MMAOddsBreaker.com on the top of free bets tab. So make sure to check that out. Remember, check out MMA Oddsbreaker Premium. Good luck, everyone. And hopefully the betting gods are on your side this weekend.